Hi. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? It is going well. It's so nice to see you. I can't believe that uh, we're still in the pandemic. I, I mean, honestly, the last time we saw each other and spoke, I think it was at the beginning of COVID in some ways. Yeah, 100%. It was like, I think it was, um, it was probably like just over one year. Was it just over a year ago? I think it may, it feels longer. And that's another thing too, is that just time and the passage of time has really been, you know, totally just impacted by COVID and all of that. How have you been? How are things by you, family, life, work? Give me the nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I got to give you a forewarning. I'm changing the structure of my, st- of my uh, recording. So you're the first... Uh, the first person I'm piloting this on. I just wanted to kind of have it start on wow. recording. So it is recording right now. I see that. Okay, yeah. perfect. So anything can and will be used against me. Is that well, sort of the... <laughs> yeah, I used to have like the little like spiel that I gave in the beginning, but I just feel like it's it kind of disrupted the flow of the conversation. So... Um, well, I don't believe that my Miranda rights have been read yet. So I may need for that to happen before <laughs> we continue. No, do you say? <laughs> yeah, I... Um, no, but my life's good, man. I... um. I've been doing a lot of like home renos. That's where I've been working recently. Uh, the last couple of years, it's like a family business. And I, yeah. I, I grew up like working with that business. And then I left for a while. I was in like the fitness industry, restaurant industry, and now I'm back here. So I, I feel the exact same way that you kind of said, like, yeah, it's just been flying by because it's just yeah. like Monday to Friday work and then working on the podcast and then with everything else it's like man can i can i say wow. i i can edit this out if you don't like this part but i was gonna We're, say congratulations yes, oh, man on what thank you so up. much you want to talk about that sure we can talk about it it's um my husband and i are expecting a uh our babies to be born via surrogates and we're around 34 and a half weeks uh pregnant so you know, it's, it's coming. Watch what happens live. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're terrified and excited and can't wait all at the same time. And, you know, however parents to be are supposed to feel, I don't know, but I can tell you it's a mixed bag for us, but we can't wait and we're over the moon and, and so blessed and grateful for this opportunity. So we shall see. That's beautiful. man. I um... Thank you. Another thing that I started recently, I have a, a little group on like WhatsApp where we just talk about like mental health and we have like yeah. discussions. It's like, um, but I had a Zoom call this morning with everybody and we were talking a lot about kind of um, like purpose in life or just kind of feeling like there's um, a reason to go through like kind of like the grind or the suffering or whatever, like the hardships. And I think that just being a parent or being a leader is such a big purpose in and of itself. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, it it definitely is. It's a huge responsibility. It's a huge gift. Um, We both, I think definitely, I can speak for myself. I definitely had some fear of, wait a second, what worlds are we bringing this child into? Um, And, you know, I believe it's a world that we can really shape for the good and where there's, you know, a lot of, you know, wonderful human beings and a lot of incredible possibilities. And, 
you know, there's been so much shit that um, I think we've all seen over the course of the past two plus years and, and then some, and there's also been pockets of, you know, at least for me, just real surprise and who shows up and who's really around and there unconditionally and, you know, what to let go of as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's uh it's 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 pretty crazy cuz I was I I've been thinking that too. I was like, you know, this kind of changes the way I feel about the world. I was like, you know, not that I'm in any position to have any children. Like me and my girlfriend are very happy just dating the two of us. Like we're we're good our yeah. situation. Enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But I I had that discussion with, you know, like now that, you know, I'm I'm getting a little bit older you know my friends are getting married and i'm kind of watching them all grow and develop you know they're becoming homeowners etc and then um you know one of my best buddies they haven't announced it yet so i'm not going to say anything but um uh him him and uh, his partner are expecting and we've had that discussion where he was like i don't feel like it's the right time to bring a kid into the world and then like a few months later it's like we are because like Mm -hmm. this is the way i think that you know, and from his eyes, I can, we haven't had this, you know, follow-up discussion yet, but I think that a lot of people are viewing it like, this is the way we change it. You know, like, this is how you impact the children are the people that change the world. You're 100% correct. I mean, it kind of ties into the topic that you mentioned wanting to talk a little bit about today, which if I understood correctly, it's sort of this idea of how does need deprivation impact the ways in which we show up to the world. And so many of us have been disappointed, let down, overwhelmed, and really defeated by a lot of circumstances that have taken place on a personal level, on a political level, on a social level, on a, you know, sort of racial level. There's been so much. And the tendency is to say, you know what, let's just, let's, stop it. Let's draw the line right here. Let's not continue to create, to, you know, bring meaning, bring joy, bring new life and opportunity into the world. And I think it takes a lot of um, courage, tenacity, and, you know, maybe some uh, stupidity too, if you will, to to bring a baby into the world right now. And, and I'm grateful I fall into that camp, you know? I I agree. I agree. And I always think like, as well, like I think back to even just like, you know, if I were to look at just like two generations back, like my father and my grandfather, like I can say like, you know, when my father had kids was in the nineties, like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. So I don't feel like they had any time like that, like where they were like, I don't think this is a good time. Cause I feel like the eighties and nineties were kind of a cool. They were really great. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. But going back even further, like I have an, I, I always say like, I have an old family in the sense that like, there's always a big break in between the years of having a child. Like, so I, I was born in 95, my dad was born in 58 and then my grandpa was born in 1913. So there's like wow. four years between each of us. Wow. But, um, there was a lot of moments for, Hmm, are we sure about this? And then yeah, yes, a decisive yeah. choice. Yeah, like I think like I always I like my grandpa I always think about the most like because this guy was born pretty much right before the Great Depression in Europe. Um, and uh, I mean, he was in Denmark when when uh, Copenhagen was occupied by Nazis in World War Two. Like that was part wow. of the reason they came to Canada. Right. So like I always think I'm like, don't you think grandpa felt that way? 
Like, why would I bring kids into this world? Like, mm-hmm. he literally had his hometown invaded by Nazis. I totally relate and understand in my family history as well. It's really, it's an incredible thing. And honestly, as a gay man in a same-sex couple, I feel like it's really important, not for myself, but for future generations as well, to create more of a lens of diversity and you know, normalcy, quite frankly, around this idea of different types of families. I mean, it was really unthought of, unheard of in many ways. And certainly like from just a medical scientific standpoint, it wasn't possible when I was a kid to do what we're doing now. So I, I take it with a great, you know, sort of pledge of honor. And um, you and your girlfriend may have a change of tune, but enjoy every single second while it lasts, please travel what you can do all of it yeah well we can't right now uh well that's true yeah i was gonna say when we're ready yeah Yeah. i was gonna say our our whole like because it's different for you guys because it's being handled on a state to state level but our whole country is still playing pandemics so it's kind of like um and i don't know if you heard about what's going on here but there's a huge protest going on nationally for us right now bill me and i i mean brief a little bit i, I kind of know nuts and bolts but what's it like on the ground for you yeah um and i want to circle back to what we were just saying because yes. i think that there's something really powerful there but just to kind of give you like a fill you in on the current events here yes our uh, our uh, like the vaccine mandates just got extended uh, and then there's been other restrictions that have just been put in place and um, it's put a huge stress on the supply chain. Like I work in construction and there's like, I went to go buy pipe the other day and my supplier's like, I've been out for three weeks. And that's like before the truckers even strike because it's so difficult for them to cross the border right now between the States and us. So it's like, um, it impacts so many professions, so um, just projects and, and just stresses and like stress. it's, it's kind of just destroying a lot of people's lives like you hear about like you know people can't pay their bills and they they're like foreclosing homes and you know there's you know abuse in the home or mm-hmm. whatever it could be like there's just and so um what's happened it's pretty incredible actually um the entire nation like the truckers have all decided that they're just going on strike and they're all mm-hmm. driving to our parliament right now. They're, today's the day that they're supposed to arrive. So it would be the same as like if everybody in the States just wow. every trucker decided we're done. It's not every trucker, but um, it's enough to decided. really. Yeah. yeah they're going to drive. They're going to drive out to Ottawa, which is our capital. And um, they're just sitting outside our parliament and they're pretty much putting the country on siege. So it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. But it sounds like a really, um, you know, sort of gripping, important moment. And I mean, it's again just so unbelievable as you were describing the impact and influence on, you know, just people's lives and, and, you know, suffering, causing meaning, forging meaning and, and survival pretty powerful resource you know yeah i think it's been stressful and i mean i even alluded to it when we were messaging each other you know i was i was i i think i made a joke and kind of in poor taste but i was like i bet you your business is booming right now Mm -hmm. because i just know so many people like i the way i think about it is like this is um i knew a lot of people that were just barely holding it together before this pandemic Mm -hmm. They were very anxious here. And I think um, 
I think actually California may have a similar, just not as inflated real estate market as us. Yeah. So pretty bad. Young people are like a huge fear is not being able to get a home. Like mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't seem achievable for people mm-hmm. for the most part. What we think is like, okay, we're just going to rent for our whole lives. Like that's kind of right. where everyone's at. Well, I mean, and I think it's founded in fact. I mean, there's so many, you know, pieces of evidence to suggest, you know what, don't push yourself, don't go the extra mile, don't try. You know, it's this idea, again, of the need deprivation, the continued, you know, sort of moving of the mark, and the sense of it's impossible. You know, I I tell people all the time, we're in a world right now where you have to be rich in order to live comfortably and just sort of get by. And it's, it's unbelievable and not sustainable. And, you know, certain cities, areas, countries are impacted more than others. But generally speaking, it's a very different world than the world of our parents, our grandparents, for better and maybe for worse as well. And this idea of work hard and you'll get ahead, it, it's not only just, you know, sort of cliched, it's, it's wildly untrue in many cases for a variety of different reasons. So I'm with you, you know, and this is what impacts this idea of, you know, learned helplessness, this idea that no matter how much we try at something, we're not going to be able to succeed and therefore, why try at all? It sort of influences passivity, it reduces motivation and ultimately a will to live. And I think so many of us are up against this idea of what's the point anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that, and that that draws back to like, kind of like the purpose thing I was talking about before. Like, I, I think that like, when you have that purpose, like I know, you know, speaking to other people that, you know, I think that children, honestly, like, I'm so happy that you said that this is all happening for you, because I feel like that is, like, I think a parental role or like a leadership role, whether like some, not everybody wants to be a parent. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. But just to have a leadership role, then like, you could call it another term, if that makes you feel more comfortable. But I mean, just being a leader, like teaching, and and having a positive impact on somebody that you're watching and helping develop like that is purposeful in and of itself yeah and we can start by providing and serving that role for ourselves you know really going against the grain not being willing to succumb to the overwhelming temptation to which again is founded in reality to just say screw it it's not it's not worth it and look i don't want to ignore the fact that there are certain socio-political you know economic racial discriminatory practices that in many ways negatively impact upon somebody's ability to meet and realize their goals and i also believe that you know there's always hope there's always forward progress and there's always the possibility of meaningful change if we commit to it and refuse to succumb to you know the power that large if you will yeah I've, I've been trying to um i've been trying to grasp you know and i just um you know i've been really i guess wrestling with that idea what you're talking about the fact that you know um and I feel like this is kind of what everybody that grows up, like, especially you could, you could make the argument like the, the white male in, in North America, you know, that has it easy, but I feel like to some degree, 
as much as I've tried denying that, like there's truth behind it. Yeah. I've been trying to dive into a little bit more like, you know, why do people start off life with like a different hand of cards? Mm-hmm. And, and what are we supposed to do? Like, what do we do about that? Because at the end of the day, it is a fact of life. Yes. And whether there's like, no question, right? Like it's like, whether it's because they're born in a different country and they don't have the mm-hmm. privilege of living in North America here, or maybe someone that's born in North America and they just don't get the same hand of cards at, at birth. You know? Right. And, that's absolutely like, right. And what do we do? Right. Like how right. do we fix that? Because I don't want to live in a, like one of the biggest things that we're dealing with in Canada here. Um, you know, we have massive populations uh, uh, like specifically in like our indigenous communities that just don't have access to clean drinking water still mm. like i don't want to live in a world like that like that's no. not fair like this no. is canada like you know right. i'm sure you'd say the same thing like this absolutely is we're not supposed to be like that absolutely you know so it's like why like and i've been just trying to think like and you can like and you know definitely there's like political aspects that influence those things and might not be from today. It could be from generations ago. It could be from last generation. It could be, you know, dating back 400 years for you guys. Like it's kind of different for everywhere, but yeah, like why, why did this happen and what can we do about this? Like, why do we fix that? It's a great question. Um, and you know, a trillion dollar question. And I think, I'm not asking you to answer that. No, but I I think it's wrestling with, Totally. It's a really critical point. And look, I think what I'm hearing and, and that's kind of implied is this idea that in the world in which we live, for better or for worse, and I think for worse, somebody's success is oftentimes at the expense of another person's oppression or compromised, you know, set of opportunities and resources. And you know, that fucking sucks. And that is Do you, you know, think a that's model the case across the board though. Um, I don't think it's the case across the board necessarily, but I think there are these inherited, traumatic, sort of intergenerational ideologies that are passed along that sort of connote this idea that in order to get ahead, we have to stomple over others. And this can be, you know, within, you know, different racial groups, different ethnic groups, different, you know, sort of political groups and ideologies can be within a family system. I see this constantly, you know, sibling rivalry is essentially a, you know, kernel of this. I need to suppress the other in order to advance myself. It's why we have different roles within family systems too that are pretty primitive, the hero, the lost child, you know, and I think the um, just sort of architecture of how we think about success, how we blueprint success has to change. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like, um, like perhaps that we view success. Well, A, success is a very vague term because mm-hmm. it's different for everybody. And relative. Exactly. Yeah. Like success for me and you is probably different than success mm-hmm. for like an Elon Musk or a Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos. Like they have a completely mm-hmm. different idea of what success is but yes i think like the idea that maybe like success is like um like there's a finite amount of it out there because i think in terms of like sibling rivalry it rings true like at a large scale like as above so below right and so like we see that again like part of the things that you see in like a a federal level for us is like 
you hear a lot of um, oppressed groups that kind of, they're almost competing, like for who needs to get the attention. And it's like, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. And it was like, I had this idea. It's like other people that are suffering are not your enemy. Like you don't have to, like we get like, well said, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we all need help, but like, it's just about like what, it's not like there's a finite amount of love out there or a finite Mm. amount of compassion. Like we all can receive this. There's, we don't have Mm -hmm. to compete for it. Like we all need to get ahead. Like all of us. Yes. I think that's a beautiful thing that you said and really profound, right? Like others who are suffering are not our enemies. They're not, we're not in competition with them. I think we sometimes forget this, whether it's within, you know, a broader, you know, sort of sociological standpoint or even within our own relationships, right? We're, we're in many ways all showing up the best way that we know how with the skills that we have access to based on the ideologies and beliefs that we've sort of inherited and have been, you know, fed to learn, right? Yeah, I just, it's funny when you said, it it kind of really clicked for me when when you said that about sibling rivalries, because I Mm. think about when I was like, I was like five when my little sister was born. And I remember the feeling, like I, I physically, like I remember the physical feeling of like, you know, like her getting all the attention. I'm that middle child. So like I dealt with a lot of psychological uh-huh. stuff, but uh-huh. you know, like watching my little sister, I'm like, why does she get all the attention? Like what, how come, you know, what, what happened to me? Yeah. Like I used to be the baby now. Yeah. Baby. So it's totally, like, we, then- we lose that role of identity. We oftentimes associate, you know, not having something or a deficit in some way as our vulnerability in some way as being the way in which we're able to access whatever support, love, or whatever that we can muster, right? We think we kind of have to be in that position in order to have our needs met in so many ways, right? Yeah. And and it's like, if she's getting love and attention, then I'm not, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's how it felt. Even mm-hmm. though that's not the truth, mm-hmm. it felt like there was like a finite amount of like mom and dad's attention. And in actuality, there was, right? I mean, unless your parents were the energizer (laughs) bunnies, you know, there is only so much energy that we have. Their intention was, I imagine, to love you equally and to show up for you, you know, equally. And at the same time, we're finite in terms of the resources that we have to convey love, convey care, convey importance. You know, it's this idea of we can do anything, not everything. Yeah. Um, And and it's also an important lesson for ourselves to learn, right? Your sibling, your younger sister was not the enemy. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that, but she had just had different needs. Like I'm five years old, like you don't really need the same attention as as just like a newborn. Well, I mean, I think that some 35 year olds may feel differently, but I hear you. Yes, <laughs> correct. I, I feel you. Yeah, indeed. I definitely know what you mean there. Because yeah, I think as well, like it has to do and especially that's kind of like diving more into that. Like, I think as well, like, as a kid, you don't really understand love language, you don't really understand how that works. So like, maybe you're just not getting the attention that you desire, but you're still loved, like you're still mm-hmm. being loved. It just might not be received, or you might not understand it. Like it's so like someone's speaking a different language altogether. Mm-hmm. 
It's so well said. And look, I think it's about understanding what our needs are, how to convey them. Obviously, as a five-year-old, we're unable to do that. We, we rely on the person who's providing our need fulfillment to tell us what our needs are. And when we grow up in healthy, loving, you know, secure attachment types of families, that's a given, you know, it kind of works automatically. When we grow up in families where there's trauma, abuse, you know, oppression of a variety of different forms, it, it really fractures in us our ability to have trust because we can't communicate our needs. We don't know what they are. And the people who are responsible for advocating on our behalves are doing just the opposite. So that can affect the way we show up, you know, more with this theme of, of learned helplessness, this idea that our outcomes are largely, if not entirely out of our control. It becomes really difficult to reframe our understanding of the world and relationships and you know, trust in general when that initial template is absent. Yeah. Yeah, because we just kind of like are, yeah, we're craving that. We're looking for mm -hmm. that. But then I, you know, I think it's huge what you're saying about like not really knowing what your needs are. Right. Because I, I feel like that sometimes even. Yeah, I think we all do to some extent. You know, we, we really advocate for our needs being fulfilled. And at the same time, we're not fulfilling our own needs, not because we're, you know, lazy and careless, but oftentimes because we have limited resources and energy. And largely, I think, because we don't really know what those needs are. You know, this idea of love language, at least in America, has become very popularized and kind of like the cultural buzz. But I think it's a bit too finite, a bit too watered down, and it implies that we know how we best and most thoughtfully experience and receive love. We're so intent on telling others, you know, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that, based on what we see in media or whatever, we really oftentimes don't know what it is that we need and want and whether the need and want is the same. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, and this is just kind of like my, uh, I always like try and look at things with a first, I agree with it. Cause I do like the idea of like, kind of like a love language, but the contrarian way I've looked at it before is I think that it actually can be a gateway for some sort of like kind of sometimes abuse in relationships. Mm. Whereas like if someone could be giving their all and then the one partner could just be like, this is what I need from you. And maybe it's like mm -hmm. physical affection and they're just trying to force their partner to do certain things. You know what? It kind That's of right. A weird window. But, well, you're 100% you're right. It's kind of like being in a different country and somebody communicating really like fond sentiments to you, but in a language that you don't understand, we are, we would probably take out a, a you know, translator or learn the language or, decide whether or not we want to remain in that world based on the lack of language parallels in relationships. We're kind of in a different country. Someone's communicating love to us in a different language and we're sort of resisting fighting back with them when they may be doing the best that they can. So this dynamic of power differential, power abuse, I think is absolutely a product of this overly kind of like watered down and 
I think, very um, narrow scope of what it means to express, receive, and show up for healthy love. Yeah, and I think as well, like, I think that... And this kind of pulls on the fact that we're just kind of in like this disposable environment in terms of relationships. Like people are just so quick to just ditch one and then jump into a new one. But I think that it's very difficult. Like, I think that you can't really pigeonhole yourself. Like I can't, I think that everyone needs a little bit of every love language. And I think that to pigeonhole yourself and say like, well, Cause like, you know, we've all been in different relationships, right? Like we've all, and and whether you've dated a lot of people or you've just been been in like non-romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. it goes the same way. Like, you know, you've had friends that are gift givers. You have friends that are compliment givers. You have friends Mm -hmm. that are like the physical affection. They'll give you a big hug every time you see them. Like, and, and everyone does have their own love language Mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's no attempt to learn new languages. Correct. That's absolutely, and it would be the equivalent of me saying the way that I receive love is through, you know, an expensive gift when you come to my home. Well, the person who's coming may not have the ability to afford that. They may not have the resources to make that happen. They may not have access to purchasing goods from the stores that we like because they're not around any of those stores and there's no online shop. So it becomes this very punitive kind of tit for tat entitled wave of, you know, really, I think, short-sighted expressions of intimacy. So we have to be really cautious, I think, you know, in, in this idea. And look, I think it's also part of learned helplessness, this idea that our outcomes are, you know, out of our control in many ways, what we do is we see something as initially not meeting our needs, and then we say, screw it, I'm, I'm done here, rather than attempting to communicate and attempting to kind of harmonize the ways in which we're able to access and receive love. Yeah, and I think as well, like some of the things, like some of the questions I had to ask myself as well when I was looking more into this is more like, you know, why is this something that I gravitate towards? What's the internal feeling I get when I lack this? And what's the right. internal feeling I get when I get this? Right. Right. And well said. Why is that? And why right. is that? And can I translate that into other languages then? Right. I, I think that the second part of that question is so critical. What is it that I lack when I get this? Right. And the truth is, is that we're going to lack something, especially if we're not open to our own way of communicating love and receiving love from ourselves. And if we're intent on finding the faults and trying to dilute in a very crass way what we are and are not willing to receive, I think we sell ourselves really short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, yeah, there's so many things I can get in on that because yeah, I know for myself, like I've always, I've been more of like the verbal kind of guy. Like I'm definitely like a words of affirmation kind of, that's my like love language. Love language. Through speaking and, and also physical affection. I was always like someone that felt awkward giving and receiving gifts. Like that mm-hmm. was like one of the things I struggled with for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember through friendships and past relationships, like that was detrimental for a lot of things. Yeah. Because I wasn't giving gifts to people that were expecting them or or maybe they, you know, there was a, a mutual agreed upon that I wasn't really communicated properly. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then even receiving gifts, like I kind of, 
you know, I think back and this is kind of just me taking accountability for it. And maybe it's like a little step forward or a step too far. But I think back to times where like, I didn't really receive a gift with grace. And I think mm-hmm. like I kind of robbed that person of a good feeling because mm-hmm. they like giving gifts. Mm-hmm. Yes. We do that a lot where we'll say, oh, well, thank you so much. I'll open it later. Most people, what they want is they want the experience of, wow, that's so thoughtful. Thank you so much, right? We want to protect them from our you know, facial expressions of disappointment, potentially, when in reality, they don't care that we like or don't like the gift as much as they care that we acknowledge that they took this step and demonstrated this effort of expressing care or love or validation. And so in a nutshell, how do we become more skillful at attaching in healthier ways? I think it's to open gifts in front of people who give them to us, right? It's to show up with a gift that's consistent with the idea of sharing and belonging and appreciation rather than the material possession in and of itself. Yeah. And just for me, like, I just had to understand, like, you know, maybe this makes me uncomfortable, like, uh, like uncomfortable. Like I just hate, I didn't like the idea of like having someone give me something. I always mm-hmm. like, and maybe it's cause I grew up in that kind of like blue collar working. Like it was kind of like, I felt like I had to give something to receive something. So it felt awkward. It, for yeah. Me. Well, was it also this idea? I wonder of what do they want from me? Do I owe them? Is there mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of, um, roster tally in their mind of, okay, I, I'm expecting something now back from Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I felt that way as well. Like this is kind of now we're just deep diving into me, but like, I felt like that way as well. Like say for uh, it, like, if it was time to exchange gifts, you know, maybe it's the mm-hmm. holiday season or maybe it's like birthday time or whatever, or I guess birthday might not be applicable, but holiday season would be because you're kind of exchanging gifts. And I kind mm-hmm. of always felt like maybe like, my gift wouldn't be up to caliber or mm. kind of like, oh, their gift was so thoughtful or mine was just like a, a you know, mm-hmm. something funny for me, like, or, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I do. I think that's why a lot of people hate birthdays. It's less about this idea of, you know, it's another year older that I am a few more wrinkles and more this sense of the people who reach out may not always be the people who we want, expect to reach out and may not feel comfortable receiving that level of acknowledgement and validation for, or we may feel just kind of shitty about ourselves. And the idea of a limelight being on us at a time where we're not feeling great can feel incredibly, you know, painful. Yeah. Birthdays were always tough for me, actually, anyways. Because me too. For a long time, I struggled with, and I still struggle with, I can't say I'm over it, but just, uh, I guess, grasping the reality of mortality yeah and uh i always just i think uh because of that i've always had a bit of well a lot of anxiety surrounding like time yes and uh you know like i'm always watch like i i have a bad habit like i have to turn my phone on silence otherwise i'm like looking at my phone looking at the time i'm like I, i like even subconsciously i'm like i know that you have to be done by a certain time so i'm like mindful of that mm-hmm. and um just time, like, I feel like always makes me anxious. And I feel like every single year on my birthday, I think like, okay, in the last 365 days, what did I do? Did I do anything of meaning? Do you know? And I think, oh, I wasted all that time. That's why I always find myself thinking. 
Right. And I think it's so interesting too, how this impacts interpersonal relationships, this idea of, did I take up too much of that person's time? You know, what do we communicate when we're late to something? What should we communicate when we show up on time to something? And I think this idea of a wasted life is something that terrifies all of us. Yeah. And well, and yeah, I guess everyone just kind of values different things because I know in my heart and I know like theoretically, I know that it's not the time you spend, it's the value of the time, right? Like you could right. spend five minutes with somebody and it could be like full of ecstasy and love and, you know, compassion and you could just feel so connected and it could have felt like it was a one second. And then you could right. spend three hours with someone and you're like, holy shit, man, I don't right. want to do that ever again. Right, and I think, well said, we also believe we owe people our time, you know, that we owe people you know, a certain commitment. And I can't tell you how many people I work with or just people in my life who will tell me, Josh, I'm just so exhausted and burned out from participating in this interaction with this person. It's not serving me well. And I think it's kind of a disservice to that person and to ourselves to not alter the way in which we show up. I don't believe that we owe anyone our time, right? I think we owe people our honesty and the truth, but time is one of those things that as Oprah Winfrey says, is the most precious commodity and resource that we have. Yeah, it's the only thing that can't be bought. Correct. Yeah, it's, and man, sorry. I, I just, uh, I wanted to circle back because I know you do have like kind of a finite amount of time, but no, I want no, to no, circle back correct. to- um, just the idea or like when you're not getting things that you, you, um, you kind of need. So, yes. um, like, you know, I was just thinking, and we kind of talked about this before, but the reason, so the reason that this has been on my mind for so long is because I've kind of been looking at the state of, you know, Canada and, you know, there's, there's a lot of states that are in the same boat. And I think of, you know, like, you know, how do we get here? Like, how do we get to this point where we're at, you know, today? Like, you know, like where, like, how do we get here? And I think of, you know, well, realistically, I had to remind myself, like, way worse things have happened. Way worse. Like, mm -hmm. World War II was one of the most, like, insane atrocities that I could, I can't even fathom it. And I know, mm -hmm. and I've studied so much about it. Uh, you know, from what happened in Europe to Asia to North America and how it impacted everybody. And I think about those atrocities and I still can't fathom it. I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine that. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, when I think about those things and I think about when I'm already thinking about it to, in today's terms, when relatively it's not that bad compared to those times, you know, you, one could argue that it's like, we're on like step one of a 20 stair staircase towards that, mm -hmm. but but um, when I think about those atrocities, I think, you know, the only reason that those are possible is because we have this failed concept or idea or thought that, you know, like people are different than us or they, they're worth less than us or they mm -hmm. add less value to society. Like there's this weird disconnect where we kind of look at another person and we still do this to this day. And I mean, there's ways that it's useful, but 
you know, it, it, it's frustrating for me, and I'm sure that you feel this even more than I do. The fact that you have to like kind of introduce yourself as a gay man or a straight man. Like, why are we even, you know, like we're the same thing. We might choose different choices in life, but like at the end of the day, we have a, a caloric amount that we have to hit. We have to breathe. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, we are the same thing. We have similar yeah. needs. And I just hate that we have this kind of every, in every way possible. We keep dividing everything between yeah. gender and, and everything. And it's like, man, like, I just feel like the only way these things happen is when that happens is mm-hmm. when we look at other people and you don't look at, you know, if I were to look at you, I don't see him, you know, mm-hmm. if I don't, Dif- you, this is difference in that way. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I, you mean? know, I do. I, I think, um, for me, it's, I'm, look, I'm a huge believer that the toughest experiences in our lives make us who we are, you know, that we grow through shit. Um, you know, we, yeah. And, um, to some extent, I, as a kid growing up, you know, I'm 37 years old as a child. I, I certainly never envisioned being able to live in a world or, you know, be a person who would be able to look at somebody on a recorded Zoom line and identify as a gay man being, you know, in a marriage with another man and having bringing a child into the world and to not have shame totally you know permeate every single layer of my psyche and it's it's something that i think you know because someone pointed that out to me i was i was referencing um you know being parents to be and you know we're a same-sex couple and how there's going to be some differences and someone was like well, you know, children are the same, like whether you're a child of same-sex parents, you know, uh, an interracial set of parents, a man and a woman, a mommy and daddy, whatever the case may be, the child has the same needs. But I think the way in which we provide care and love and support and the value that we experience from the things in our world are largely rooted in what needs we had deprived from us, you know? So there's something kind of special and unique and I think, you know, like flavorful on a, on a very deep level about, you know, suffering and hardship and what we do with that, right? Do we turn that into a opportunity to really lean in to showing up for ourselves, for others in unique and profound ways? Or do we kind of say, you know, well, it's not worth it anyway, right? This learned helplessness idea. So I think to a certain extent, need deprivation, you know, really is, is it, it informs in a very negative way who we are, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our own worth. And it can also be an incredibly important taproot from which we feel a greater sense of meaning, purpose, and commitment to showing up for ourselves and others. Man, just hearing you say that, the very first thing that you said, like the idea that you, you when you were growing up, you couldn't visualize that without shame. That, mm. that, that fucking hurts me to hear, man. Yeah. But yeah. It, 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 and I think one of the things 
that's so liberating about that is that for me is that shame keeps us silent you know so the the real horror and atrocity when you hear about child neglect and abuse and mistreatment and you know bullying and oppression of different sorts is the shame that's inherited and internalized that one doesn't feel capable or worthy enough of even speaking up and saying, I'm hurt, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, because there's this idea of, you know, sort of worthlessness. So to reclaim our stories and say, that was really shitty, in some ways, I think is a testament to change and growth in a lot of ways, you know, I'm, I'm always so encouraged and inspired when people talk about really atrocious things that have happened in their lives, not because I'm, you know, like sitting, you know, with excitement at learning about this, but because it implies that their shame is no longer, you know, at the core of what motivates their ability to show up differently for their, for their lives. When we tell our stories, we, we, you know, reduce shame. Yeah. Yeah. I think back to, um, do you know, the, you know, the author Brene Brown? I do. Vulnerability. Yeah. I just read her book, um, Daring Greatly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was like kind of a reintroduction to shame and, for yes. me, and it kind of caused me to dig deeper because I can kind of draw similarities to how I felt as a kid, like kind of dealing with like suicidal thoughts and depression, depressive thoughts at a really young age. And I remember voicing them for the first time to one of my yeah. teachers. And just, I remember her appropriate, but not really the reaction I was looking for. And I remember thinking to myself, I better not say anything like that ever again to mm-hmm. anybody. And um, so I can kind of see where you're coming from. But I just, when I hear Dude, when I hear you say that, it actually fucking hurts me inside. Like when I hear you say that, I think I hate that. I don't want that. That's not where we need to be like that. But I, it does give me hope though, because of the fact that, you know, and again, like we haven't really discussed this, but I, this is my assumption from the outside looking mm-hmm. in. It looks like you've kind of overcome that. It looks like, you know, you're feeling comfortable in your own skin with who you are, with who you're with. And um, thank you. And it's a journey. Look, it's totally a journey. I mean, I remember my nephew who's, who's now 17. Um, I have a, an older sister and I think my parents kind of underwent what maybe your grandfather and father did where they're like, wait a sec, let's give this a second thought before we bring more people into the world. Um, and when my nephew was turning, you know, 13, 14, 15, the age at which my bullying was greatest, I I almost had this um, sort of traumatic recollection, you know, and and it was almost this terror of will I be, you know, sort of mistreated or bullied or violated in some way by him. And it's been a really beautiful thing to have had a very different experience, you know, just dealing with like kind of because that age I feel like is like the, the age where you're like educated about these types of right. things, like sexuality and stuff. And I think that there's this weird, funny gray area in education where and I think that boys especially are like this. Mm-hmm. Where when you don't understand something, you instantly have to destroy it or make fun of it. Correct. 
And so like, I think that, and that's even something that, again, like growing up in Canada, it's in Vancouver, especially it's very like kind of friendly to that community. Like Mm -hmm. this is kind of the safe haven Mm -hmm. where like, I know a lot of people that I met growing up where they're like, I came here because I can feel more comfortable here. Right. And so it was a a harbor in many ways. Yeah. 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 And I feel like, so because of that, like I haven't, you know, I didn't view it as the same thing, but Mm. just hearing you say that I can draw parallels and I'm like, I couldn't imagine how that would feel Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And it just kind of, again, it's the same thing that I was talking about earlier. Like it kind of, the more and more conversations I have like this, like it kind of not, it doesn't increase my, I mean, like I've always had the tolerance, but just Mm. kind of my understanding and the same thing that you said just visualizing like a kind of like what it was like to be at a certain age. Mm-hmm. Like when I hear other people express these things, I think back to, okay, like I remember when I was that age and I was hurting mentally, like I didn't, I, I didn't understand a lot of the things I was going through. I didn't know why, or, you know, and it didn't make sense to, to like, why keep going then? Right. But Mark, what you just said that I think is really powerful is that you just made a choice. You made a choice to relate, to extract similarity, right? Because I mean, we have different life stories, we have different life experiences, we have different scripts, but you made a decisive commitment to identify with that feeling of vulnerability, that feeling of fear, <clears throat> excuse me, that feeling of fear, that feeling of why keep going? And I think we tend in general as people to look for differences you know, to judge reactions rather than to find similarity, relatability, and to connect on the things that are most salient, feelings, you know, that sense of loneliness, of despair, of why keep going. So I think universally, if we can get in the habit of identifying with the theme of pain, you know, and just recalling, reflecting upon our own experiences and opting to look for likeness rather than difference, the world's going to be a much different place. Yeah. And I just feel like, and I don't know if this is like a human problem because it kind of happens everywhere, but I just kind of, I've been thinking so much recently, like why do we have this kind of intolerance for people that are different than us? Because Mm even like because the thing that i was saying earlier is like about this like categorization or division in society i do think it's important to recognize things like you know i as much as i hate labels because that's the thing i always say is i hate labeling people i don't like considering somebody like by their sexuality or their race Mm -hmm. or their gender i i want to look at them as just a human Mm -hmm. and and it's difficult sometimes but Mm -hmm. i try my best to because Mm -hmm. i know that you know we all bleed red we all have you know, X, Y, and Z, there's all these arguments and, and cheesy things I can say, the cliche. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, I, like I was saying before, I just view all the atrocities that have happened in the mm-hmm. world. And I think, you know, that's only possible when we lack tolerance for people that are different than us. I agree. That we think are different than us. Correct. I, I think for me and maybe for others, the reason it's so important to sort of restate and um, continue to commit to a certain identification, whether it's gay or transgender or Jewish or black or you know whatever the case may be, using pronouns they, them, 
is we derive value and meaning from the hardship that it takes in getting to a place of being able to shame-free claim a part of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. So you're totally right in terms of the universality of human experience. And yet I think some of these identifiers are, are precious, you know, too. I, I, I do agree with that because, you know, and that's where I was, I was trying to find the words for this, but, and it just sounds so funny and cliche. So I'm just going to say it the way I'm thinking. Just say it. Yeah. But, um, you know, just hearing you say like that story earlier about how you felt as a kid and then hearing you kind of the, the way that you speak about it now, it makes it so much more beautiful. Like when I hear about, you know, like, okay, I understand the, the label. Like I understand mm-hmm. that because it's something mm-hmm. that was something that used to hang over your head as like something shameful. And mm-hmm. now it's like, no, I've come to terms with this and I accept mm-hmm. it. And whether you mm-hmm. accept it or not, this is who I am. And I'm mm-hmm. fucking living this way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, fucking kick rocks. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. And right. So I love that aspect of it. Like that makes Thank me you. so happy because yes. it's, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I think I just, it, there's, there's a, there's a beauty behind that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about it a lot with, um, I think about that a lot with like musicians, like a lot of people like that. I, th- I think about that. I look up to, I think um, there's just, when you, when I look up to people, I always think about the things that they went through and I'm like, man, this, like, that's why I look up to them because they went through that thing and they're still going. Absolutely. And we relate to the people who overcome obstacles and hurdles. It, it's not, you know, we, we all want to show up, quote unquote, perfectly, you know, and flawlessly. And ironically, it's the least relatable, the least meaningful and the least human way to show up, right? Our struggles, our hurdles, what we overcome is what makes us who we are. What we overcome is what makes us who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, especially because, um, and it just seems so unfortunate that sometimes, like, because, you know, when we, overcoming adversity is something that you can take on willingly, right? Like you Mm -hmm. went to school and you educated yourself about something that's undertaking, you know, struggling. That's not an Mm -hmm. easy thing to do, but you willingly did it. But I think that the the hard part is for people that when they're struggling with something that they didn't choose to, they didn't, they weren't willingly Mm -hmm. accepting that. Like it was just something that like, and again, you know, I, I'm not speaking from experience, but I didn't, I don't assume that you got like a character selection at birth and you're like, yep, I choose gay. Right. Like that's not how I choose. And so like, it's kind of like, that was a suffering that you had to do unwillingly. Mm. And, um, just and there are people who, who can't conceal. I mean, this idea of, of needing to conceal identity in order to be accepted or not tormented or victimized. Um, you're right. People don't choose, I believe, the, their gender um, identity, their sexuality, their, the color of their skin, their ethnic background, the circumstance of their you know, family systems and childhood, the abuses that they endure. These are not things that we choose, but we can opt to choose overcoming the idea in our minds that 
terminal uniqueness. You know, this idea that we're suffering alone, that nobody can relate to us, that that is a weapon, you know, rather than trying to find kernels of similarity, a sense of belonging and capturing our suffering, our pain as an opportunity to grow, to heal and ultimately to connect. And I believe that that part is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, just as a full circle, it's like, you don't get to choose the hands that you get in the very, very beginning, but you kind of, you know, you choose how you use those cards. That's right. Man, that I, um, it just, yeah, that's crazy, man. It just, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm happy and thankful for this conversation because I feel like Me I've kind of opened my eyes up a lot, but, um, it's just something that I've been playing with. And that's why I messaged you the other day about that is kind of like mm-hmm. when we don't have kind of needs that are met because, you know, say that you repress that side of you, right? That is a huge need. That's not being met then. Correct. Because like, if you can't feel intimacy or romantic or loved or compassion or understood, like that's pretty much all the needs, man. Like, yeah. And I, and I totally, and I feel like a total fraud encouraging other people to live the truest versions of themselves possible, right. To live courageously, not without fear, but living with fear and showing up anyway, as Brene Brown so beautifully talks about and, and daring greatly and vulnerability being the antidote to shame. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, that book helped me out a lot, actually. One of the, there's so many reasons actually that book helped me out a lot. She's an awesome author, but um, she's amazing. Do when are you, do you have a book? You, when are you coming out with a book, man? Listen, I, I would love to, I, that's my hope. My hope is to author uh, a, a book at some point and I will tell you uh, maybe in all my sleepless nights as we're raising this infant, I will take some notes, um, but that's the plan because um, you know, I think it's so important for us to tell our stories, you know, whether we're authors in a very literal sense or you know, whether we choose to reauthor the course of our lives through showing up differently and with intention and purpose. And you're doing that. And I'm so honored to have had this conversation with you and to see you. And um, it's been a real joy having this, this talk. So thank you. No, dude, thank you. I, I honestly, uh, I was going to say, I appreciate your time, but that's like my subconscious. <laughs> yeah, ex- I appreciate your time. But um. I uh, just like having this conversation and just kind of like I'm trying to backtrack and look back on like kind of like I said these atrocities that we've kind of that that society or the world has gone through because I just want to understand where this kind of like I guess lack of tolerance comes from because I just I it 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 kind of it really angers me and maybe it's because I used to be more in that mindset and it's a part of myself that I don't like but I just and I was kind of like that in school. Like I wasn't really necessarily like, and you know, from my perspective, I wasn't really like a bully, but I just doesn't, I don't think that, I don't think I understood or even tried to understand people. I was just so caught up in my own struggle mm-hmm. of like dealing with my own mental health that other people's struggles, I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really feel like I had the capacity to try and understand other people. Right. Relatability is in a lot of ways, much more time consuming. It requires more effort, but it also reduces 
a sense of angst, a sense of disconnection, and a sense of this sort of terminal uniqueness that keeps us in a zone of suffering. You know, it's not an excuse, but it is an explanation that most people who become abusive in some way are themselves survivors of abuse. You know, we look at people who are in these very venomous kind of hate type of cults. And when you ask these people years later, when they've kind of extracted themselves for whatever reason from these, you know, like hate mongering groups, it's this idea of I was in a fractured place. I was so vulnerable. I was lacking a sense of identity and purpose. So I think this idea of the people who cause the greatest suffering are typically themselves suffering greatly helps to capture the humanity in our choices and how we show up for love and lack thereof, you know? Yeah. And I think that it goes back to kind of like what we were saying earlier is like when you, when you feel like maybe, and like, it's kind of a, again, it doesn't really put the right words to it when you say like when you hate yourself, but Mm. when you kind of have that void or you just don't really have that identity or you don't really know, you know, who you are or what the purpose is, like you kind of start to, you know, not take it out on others, but like just there's this flawed thought that it's like, well, everyone else is kind of doing their thing. And I, and I remember drawing back to like my, my teenage years, I remember thinking this kind of stuff, like, okay, like everyone seems to be doing their own thing. Like, you know, I was playing sports and I would watch my friends, they all like played sports and they were so happy. And then I'm like coming home on the bus after, you know, practice. And I'm like, why do I feel this like emptiness, like nothing Mm -hmm. I can do. And so I remember thinking, you know, I just need to survive. Like, like, excuse my French, but I was like, fuck these people's problems. Like mm-hmm. I'm dealing with, like, I need to live. That's like, yeah. where I was at. Yeah. And, you um, didn't, you, re- the idea of relating, the idea of empathy, compassion, belonging felt as was the case, totally like just not part of the course. It wasn't, it wasn't um, on your list of things. It was about pure survival. And yet I think to be able to survive long-term, to be able to show up for ourselves and others and our lives the way in which we want, taking that extra step that actually saves us a lot of years of pain and agony to connect, relate and empathize can be incredibly healing, you know? Well, and not just that, but it's, I mean, I, I, Obviously, like this is kind of going to be more biased towards you. But like once Mm -hmm. I did seek professional help, once I did go to a doctor and I started to have somebody like I had, you know, and I talked about this earlier today on a different Zoom call, but I, um, I had a really rough experience with the first couple of doctors that I went and saw, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I did eventually find someone that was able to help Mm -hmm. me. And when, when I did, I felt more, Hey, I felt that was the first time I felt connected to a doctor. Yeah. And I kind of just started to view the world a little bit differently once things started to improve. And I thought, okay, I can survive now. You know, maybe I got to, maybe I ought to, I remember making an agreement with the universe. I literally remember saying this and I remember telling like myself this, I thought, you know, if I can survive like a couple more days, like if I can Mm -hmm. just survive, I will dedicate the rest of this to helping others not feel like that. Mm -hmm. Because I remember thinking that. And so, um, 
And just as that ball started getting rolling, like where I started to feel a little bit better. And then that was where I started to be able to empathize with others more and sympathize. Like, okay, maybe, you know, like earlier in the conversation, like maybe I didn't experience what you experienced, but I could, I can, I've felt the physical sensation before. Yeah. Hitting your stomach. Yeah. You don't want to leave your room and your hands are shaking and you get cold sweats. Yeah. Like I felt the physiological reaction. Yeah. So I can empathize with that at least. And that yes. was like the starting point for me. Yep. Huge. And look, and you've proven to honor that commitment. I mean, I don't want to glamorize suffering. I don't want to glamorize, um, you know, being in circumstances of abuse or trauma or oppression. That is not at all the point of what I'm about to say, but I think in so many ways we lean into being really human and helpful and um, capable of doing incredible things when we can create meaning out of our moments of, you know, real pain. And it's a very fucking hard thing to do, you know, because it's it when we finally are at a point of just experiencing some reprieve the last thing that we want to do is to reconnect with the pain. You know, we want to turn the chapter. We don't want to look there. We want to, you know, act as if it didn't happen. And, um, and I, I think that in some ways that short changes the, you know, sort of lessons that we can learn from our most crippling moments. Yeah. Well, and not even just that, but I feel like I'm trying to find a, a way to say this, but um, I think that all problems are surmountable, but there are some people that have to deal with things that, you know, I can't fathom, maybe you can't fathom, like, you know, like when a parent loses a child or, um, you know, those dark things that they there's, you can't look at a situation like that and be like, there's purpose to this. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there's this like kind of, you know, maybe you could help someone with that in the future. Or maybe you just have this perspective that, you know, because another human might experience this. So like, maybe that could be the purpose, but. Look, you're right. I, I don't pretend to have a monopoly on all the answers, thank goodness. And I would run from anyone who does. I don't understand why certain atrocities happen and you know my sense of faith and belief in some greater good has absolutely you know waxed and waned over the years um but what i do know is that for whatever reason you and i are having this conversation on saturday almost afternoon and (laughs) we get the chance to really influence and and connect and also for me personally and perhaps you know self-servingly, I feel a greater sense of connection to you, to my humanity and to, you know, the journey, the good and bad. Hands down. Yeah, no, I, um, in, in the essence of time and respect of your time, because we're, this is the third time we'll mention your time. I know you got a jet in a couple minutes, but, um, yeah. I just think that that's, that's, it's, it's so true because these little conversations and that dude, that flew by actually, now that I think about it, that I did, I've been just looking at the time. Yeah, it really did. That flew. Well, we know we're in good company. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, I normally have to pee, 
And so I didn't have to. There we go. Time, Maybe it just means you're not hydrating enough, which is a whole other podcast and conversation, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. We're not letting you get away with that one. No kidding. No kidding. But um, yeah. And, you know, we're, it's not like you and I are like kind of connecting to solve all the world's problems. But um, I mean, I think that these types of conversations, like just kind of being able to have these open and authentic conversations where it is just like kind of organic, like I, I think, um, you know, I don't think it's going to solve the whole world's problems, but I think that a good chat with a good buddy like this, like is a good place to start. Right? I couldn't agree with you more. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you go. Cause I know you got a jet by uh, by a certain time, but I just want to say, thanks, man. That was so my wicked and pleasure. time flew by, but um, it really did. And I want to thank you so much for doing what you do, for asking me to be on your show. And I'm honored to connect with you. And let's please stay in touch. No. Hopefully next time we speak, there's, you know, some further movements with this pandemic. I have, I have hope. Yeah, we can update people more. But um, before, yeah. before we go, um, yeah. just kind of give everybody like a little shout out, like um, to give yourself a plug and tell people where they can find you on Instagram. It's, it's at Therapy with Dr. Josh. Yep. It's at Therapy with Dr. Josh, DR. And my website is therapy with Dr. Josh, dr.com. I love it, man. Thank you so much for your time today. And I appreciate my you just pleasure. coming on and, and just being vulnerable with me and um, just kind of educating me a little bit more because uh, I really do appreciate that. I think that even though maybe I've heard some of these things before, these ideas before, these concepts, I just think that the more we talk about it and the more, you know, it's not about you saying the idea. It's like you telling me how you experience it and your feelings mm -hmm. behind it. And then I can empathize with that more. So I think that there's absolutely behind that. Yes. We learn much more from stories than we do lessons and ideas. Right. So yes. well said. That's beautiful. Have a wonderful weekend. I will speak with you very soon, I hope. And thank you again for having me on. Likewise. Thank you so much, brother. Much you got it, Mark. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. I know.